the VHive, a platform focused on women's intimate health. With weekly episodes from the field's top practitioners, we discuss all of the things you've always thought about but never wanted to talk about. On this podcast, we are making the highest quality information on the most beloved part of your body accessible, understandable, and implementable. I'm your host, Hannah Matluck, and I started this platform as a result of my own experience with chronic pelvic pain. Throughout the years I spent healing my body, I became overwhelmingly interested and passionate about these topics and have made it my mission to create awareness and education on the complexities of the female body. Good afternoon, Dr. Bellani and I are back to answer all of the questions that you guys have left for both of us. So yesterday, if you haven't listened to yesterday's episode, we did uh, a part one on what is the coronavirus and how can women stay healthy during this time. So today we're doing part two where we will get to all of the questions that you guys have. Um, and we hope that this is helpful. So thanks again for being here, Dr. Balani. And thank you. Yeah. And, um, we're obviously doing this remote. So as I said yesterday, if the sound quality isn't perfect, forgive us, but we just <laughs> wanted to, you know, continue to provide information to you guys. Um, so we're here anyways. So the first question that I received is how long will this last and we addressed this a little bit yesterday and obviously no one knows the answer to this question there's a lot of uncertainty clearly but I guess if you had to make a prediction as to how long this will last what would would your thoughts be on that Oh, this is tough. I mean, in terms of how long do I think the isolation and social distancing will have to last, you know, we have not reached our peak yet. So this is all prevention, prevention, prevention. And what we have to remember is that at the end of the day, in terms of public health, if we look back at this and we say we were overreacting, then that means we've done something right. Mm-hmm. So that's a good you know, point. That, that's that's actually the way that public health works um and unfortunately we haven't reached our peak yet and we're doing this really to protect elderly immunocompromised but you know i have a lot of people on the front lines and we're seeing young patients being severely affected Mm -hmm. and ending up needing to be intubated and on ventilators so the virus right now at this point is not discriminating and we have to remember that Mm um and and that's really so a tough question so i would say you know likely right now what the government has said is between two to three weeks for like a total kind of isolation protocol Mm -hmm. Um, but likely this is gonna last months you know I mean this is this is gonna probably go into May or June um we don't know and and but it's it's important to not be an alarmist but it's important to also remember that these things take time and so that's kind of the trajectory with which we're looking at I know that one of the hardest things for me, and I'm sure most people feel the same way, is just the uncertainty. Hopefully, right now, everyone's relatively okay and safe and has food and shelter, but it's 
the question of how long will I be trapped in my house for? Like, you know, a few weeks, we could all deal with that. But then a few months is is scary. So I guess, as you said, all we can really do is just take it one day at a time right now. Take it one day at a time. I encourage everyone to keep routines, you know, wake up That's in the a really morning. good point. I was reading about that this morning, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I woke up at six o'clock this morning, I meditated, I worked out, Mm -hmm. I answered patient calls and I try to keep a schedule because just like children, our brains need that routine to keep going. Um, and, and, and a sense of purpose. I think, you know, I was telling my husband after we did our podcast yesterday, I said, I love talking to Hannah and, and I love doing these kinds of things because it gives me a sense of purpose and we all need purpose, especially during this time. So don't, you know, you don't have to just watch TV all day. Like there, are, you can put yourself into a higher kind of like a bigger goal for yourself and, and move forward even at this time. And I wish everyone could do that because I think it would be a lot less scary to kind of navigate this landscape like that. Totally. And well, first that makes me so happy because we, we, we always tell each other we love talking to each other, but the fact that we're able to still come on here and continue to do the work that we do obviously you're not in your office but you know to keep for me to keep recording episodes and it's easy it would be easy for me to just kind of stop doing everything because I usually do work from home like I don't have a boss so I'm trying as well to make sure that I get up every morning and that you know like I reached out to you and that we are staying relevant and continuing to just produce content obviously podcasts are great right now so there would be no reason for me to stop doing this because people are home and want to listen to something I'm assuming it's a really good point to keep routine even for me I know that I'm like still not every day but like doing my hair and putting makeup on just because like that makes me feel good and it Uh makes me feel like I'm getting up starting my day like I know I could stay in my pajamas all day and look like a total mess which is sometimes great but it also it makes me feel more I motivated totally when I'm like, yeah, when, when you're getting ready for the, for the day. And granted, I, I'm sh- yeah, yeah, I'll, I'm, I could go on that's around. That's a but, great point. Mm-hmm. I love that. Like, yes, we should be getting dressed up for ourselves and giving ourselves that purpose. I, I totally agree with you. I do the same thing. <laughs> I love hearing you echo that sentiment because it's not, you know, people can look at that and say, oh, that's so superficial or whatever. Right. And it's not. If you actually take a look at why the whole concept behind doing it, it's not superficial at all. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely important to keep a routine. I am very glad that you brought that up. And then moving on to question number two, I know that there's been a lot of articles written and lots of talk regarding anti-inflammatories. What's the deal with that? What have you heard? What are you advising your patients to do? So, you know, again, kind of like what we reiterated yesterday, this is really new data it's not even data, it's more like anecdotal, which means there's no like basic science research behind it. It's really people just noticing that patients on anti-inflammatories are somehow having worse outcomes than those who are not. Mm -hmm. That having been said, um, you know, being a physician, generally, we don't like to really make medical decisions on the basis of confounded like observational data do you Mm -hmm. know what I mean yeah yeah so 
so it's it's not something that I'm going to be like, absolutely, you need to get off anti-inflammatories, you're going to do worse. It's just something that I think that we should take note of. Um, and, and for patients who are super uncomfortable, then, you know, that's fine to kind of stay away. Um, but understanding that sometimes patients who get off the hydroxyzine and get off their medications can often exhibit a flare. Mm-hmm. So we have to be very careful with that risk benefit analysis during this time. And I think it's just something to keep in our brains. But again, as scientists, I don't alter my practices based on anecdotal things because generally that can lead to bigger problems. Okay, cool. Helpful to know for sure as many people definitely take anti-inflammatories. I think that that was an important question to ask and to address. Um, Question number three, what do we do if we run out of our meds and can't fill them? And I know that this is a prevalent question that a lot of people have and are probably wondering what's going to go on with that. You know, how far in advance should they have prescriptions for most of us have some sort of a prescription. So that's definitely an important question as well. For sure. For my patients, you know, I've been doing 90-day medication um, like refills and not mm-hmm. refills, just 90 days of pills for patients. And none of them have been issue having issues with pharmacies dispensing them. None of them have been having issues really with medications that are covered by insurance being covered. So um, for, for the only thing that excludes is things that are controlled by the state or the government, which includes things like Valium, includes things like certain muscle relaxers, includes things like um, pain medications, and that stuff has to be dispensed on a month-by-month basis because of the potential for abuse. Mm-hmm. Um but other than that, I think that it's safe to say that I've been comfortable and I'm pretty sure most practitioners are comfortable dispensing 90-day um, medications for patients so that they are not having to go back and forth and expose themselves during these times. Are you doing 90-day prescriptions like do you do that generally or is that something that you just started during this time I don't I don't do that generally Mm -hmm. because I like to see my patients especially if they're on meds in my my treatment protocols in my office specifically I don't like keeping patients on medications for long periods of time you know I think we're just masking stuff and if we're not treating it then it's just pointless to keep patients on meds unless Mm -hmm. I'm like really getting to the bottom of things I'm a big root cause kind of a person Mm -hmm. um but right now you know I'm my biggest concern is keeping patients symptoms at baseline and keeping them better than baseline because you know for uh, right now the the secondary to the surgeon general's warnings and and new york's new york's policies you know procedures like botox trigger point injections bladder installation cystoscopies all the stuff that i could do to locally minimize inflammation and symptoms i can't do Mm so um because i have to have the patient's best interest in mind so in that sense i think it's important to give patients access to medications that they might need um so that once we get to the point where i can do what i have to do we're not in a complete flare and we're unable to treat at that point Mm -hmm. And so if we don't have a 90-day prescription filled um, at our homes, should we be asking our doctors for a 90-day prescription 
or how should we go about that? I think it's a fair thing to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't speak for other clinicians, but when my patients ask me, I think it's a fair question. I think it's something that I'm definitely willing to do, and I think most practitioners right now are willing to to, to help in any way that we can and should. Yeah, I, I would assume so, definitely. And then do you think that anyone should be worried about pharmacies closing and perhaps not being able to get a prescription filled or is that something that really wouldn't happen? I, you know, right now I think we have to take things day by day. Um, just last night, Amazon actually announced that it's only delivering medical necessities. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. So, yeah. And so now, you know, you can't order whatever you want from Amazon, which, which I totally understand because those workers should not be exposed just like hourly workers should not be exposed. And I understand the rationale behind it. Mm -hmm. So I think this is a fluid thing. We have to take it day by day. Um, but we have to be kind of thinking to the future. And in that respect, I don't know what pharmacies are going to be able to do, but I would think that in healthcare, we're trying our best to make sure that all patients are taken care of at all, at all times. And, yeah. and so I would hope that wouldn't happen, but I think that it's fair to ask your clinician for a 90 day supply of what you need, as long as it's not a controlled substance. Okay, cool. And what is next? Okay. Question number five, should I be keeping my baby at home or can I take him out with me? So as with always, um, I, I'm assuming that when this person says out, she means for a walk around the neighborhood or mm-hmm. something to get a, some fresh air and not to a store or to, you know, um, or to a restaurant or whatever it is. And the answer to that is that we all need fresh air. You have to stay six feet away from people. Please do not be close to other people. Um, we have to keep the social distancing going. Um, but I think it's fair to go for a walk. Uh, I just try to keep things to a minimum, especially any type of interaction with other people. And then a follow-up question that the same woman had is so her baby just got I guess the first round of his vaccines um a month or two ago and so he has the second round coming up in another month or two so she's concerned if she should plan on taking him to that appointment or if she's gonna have to postpone it what are your thoughts on what she should do I think, you know, you should definitely listen to your pediatrician. I'm sure that they have um, accurate, and they're doing this all day, every day. So I'm sure that they have some sort of accurate recommendation for what should be done. Um, And that's definitely, you know, a a question for her pediatrician. Yeah, for sure. And, of course, it's hard for, you know, everyone has questions specific to themselves, which obviously you can't answer all of them. So. And then question number six, which we also talked a bit about yesterday, but should we be watching what we eat? And you can touch upon that again, but yesterday we dove into that a little bit and discussed that, yes, it's incredibly important that we are eating healthy and not drinking too much alcohol and just eating a lot of fruits and vegetables and vitamin C and zinc and taking the right Right. supplements. But I mean, I know that you agree. Are there any other thoughts that you have on that? funny because last night I was making dinner and 
I'm a, and, and we talked about this yesterday and you and I are both like this big, like food yeah. and medicine people and understanding the science behind nutrition, which I think a lot of people don't know. And it's one of my passions and something that like, I just love learning about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was interesting, but you know, I think, I think we can look at this in so many different ways. One, yes. You know, we want zinc, we want vitamin C and we want to also watch it in our patients because sometimes vitamin C can be a trigger. Um, but even things like raw garlic, I was reading. Mm-hmm. Have, have you heard about this? Yes. I, it's that- so funny that you say that. I actually, cause I, I'm obsessed with olives. And so I've been buying like the past month olives stuffed with garlic And I just eat like three of those a day and it's just an olive with a garlic clove in it. And I I think they're really good. And and, and the concept of eating that raw garlic that has a lot of nutrients to it Mm -hmm. um, that can often actually help um, encourage the good aspects of like immunity and that kind of thing. So I think that that's really interesting because there are all these kind of small things that you can do. And, and I really like to listen a lot to Mark Hyman because I think he's super interesting, mm-hmm. but, um, but a lot of this stuff, is just this concept of utilizing the nutrients, vitamins, minerals in food to help optimize ourselves in our everyday life. And I love doing that. And I think we could do a whole episode in and of itself on that. We but could, it's for sure. Great, this is a great time to kind of take a look <laughs> at that kind of stuff, you know, yeah. and, and kind of see how it affects you. Now, as there's going to be some patients who say, well, garlic flares me. Okay, I totally understand that. But we can look at other foods, other vegetables at that point. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And, and everything is individualized. But I think taking this time to learn that has been just eye-opening for me. And I, and I love it. You're totally right. It's also, you know, we can use this time to just share more information in regards to what we can be doing to keep our bodies healthy. So I For think, sure. Yeah. And, and one caveat I want to add to that, because I see a lot of people on the internet, you know, selling diets and selling teas and selling all of this immune boosting stuff in the time of coronavirus and i want to say that is not what we're doing here today at all um and that kind of stuff you know i think that kind of stuff is self-proprietary in a time where we should be coming together as a community but i think that understanding the concept of nutrients within food is going to be important for every single person out there. And I think truthfully, Hannah, medicine is going to change. This is going to change medicine and the way that we look at things. And we're going to come out of this with a world full of knowledge and a world full of perspective that's going to be way different than the way our system was before. And that's just the nature of what's going on. I mean, that's, that's the nature of this pandemic. And if we look at it globally, there's a lot to learn and we should be learning and we should be focusing on that. Yeah, that's a good point. Super interesting. And it will be really interesting to see where the world of healthcare and the field of medicine kind of goes with all of this and how healthcare providers and medical practitioners pivot in this time when they all kind of clearly are being forced to so it's crazy but at the same time it's interesting and there is definitely a lot that we can all learn from it and one other thing that I just want to quickly say is um, in in response to what you said about people selling teas and, and diet programs and all of this stuff 
we did touch upon this yesterday a bit as well, but what we were saying yesterday is like all that you really need to do to stay healthy is just eat a lot of fruits and vegetables and foods that are good for you, whole, whole foods, food. right, exactly. you know, and that's probably the most important thing is just keeping your body nourished with the right foods making sure that you know your digestion is working optimally and that you are energized in the morning so that you can continue to work and deal with your kids and just handle the stress of all of this so it's really just things that we can control eating foods we know are good for us and not being sucked into all of the kind of extra stuff out there for lack of a better word totally I totally and I love I just love how you use the word pivot because that's that phrase has been going through my head throughout Mm -hmm. all of this Mm -hmm. and you're so right right now is a time that it's going to be interesting to see how we all pivot and we all uh, work through this yeah great point thank you you too um okay what is next question number seven can I go out for walks? Gyms are closed. What should I do to work out? We both got a few of those questions. You know, everyone's cooped up at home and it's obviously so important to continue to move and exercise. And, you know, if you can get a little bit of fresh air, whether you have a backyard or you can take a walk outside, whatever, in whatever city you live in, um, at a distance from everyone else. But I think that people are afraid to go outside in general. So is it okay for people to take walks as long as they're keeping a distance? I think it's okay for people to take walks. I think we all need fresh air and that's a form of medicine for all of us. I think, like you said, move, move, move. I mean, there are great at-home programs. Peloton is offering 90 days for free for, for people. So I think that's a good way to even start moving. I love Melissa Wood Health. I was about to say, yeah. Um, you know, there are so many resources for patients and people in general, and we should be utilizing them and, and continuing to keep our bodies going, our, our hearts, you know, pumping blood and, and we'll actually feel a lot better by doing so. But yes, absolutely. Take a walk, just stay away from people, get some fresh air. I take walks Mm -hmm. daily because I think we, but you know, that having been said, if you have kids stay away from playgrounds, okay. The virus can, can sit on these metallic surfaces for hours, if not days. Mm -hmm. So just be smart about it. Totally. And, you know, I think also, as you said, I so I've been doing the Melissa Wood Health and I post about that sometimes on Instagram, but her workouts are great because she has an app where she just uploads different videos that are yoga and Pilates series and they range from 10 minutes to 50 minutes. So even yesterday, you know, I was sitting all day and then at 5.30 or 6, I was like, okay, I need to move a little bit. So I did one of her 20-minute videos and... Although that's not a super long, intense workout, I felt good that I did something. I moved, I stretched, like activated all the muscles in my body, which I've learned in physical therapy is important, especially for your pelvic floor. Like if you're sitting, then your glutes are gone to mush that day and you want to like reactivate your core and your glutes and your all of the other muscles just so that your body is staying 
strong and healthy. So I just, you know, I felt good doing a 20 minute workout yesterday. I don't think anyone has to, you shouldn't feel bad if you can't, you know, go to a spin class or go on a really long run. Like that's okay. It's okay to take a break from intense workouts. But I think as long as you're just getting a little bit of movement in, that's enough and that's important. And just taking the time to do that will definitely make us all feel better. A hundred percent agree. And absolutely doing the same exact thing. Yeah. And also actually someone told me, I don't, I actually don't use YouTube that much, but someone told me the other day that if you just YouTube, like at home Pilates series or yoga series or whatever it is, um, there's so many free videos on YouTube that you can watch. But the one thing I will say is I know that for those of you who are listening who have pelvic health issues, and I'm sure Dr. Blani, you would agree with this, some, you know, yoga poses or different core workouts, whatever it is, might, could exacerbate your symptoms. So it's probably best to just check with your physical therapist or your doctor before you do any workouts that are new, just to make sure that it's not going to make anything worse, because this obviously isn't a time where you want to be feeling worse um, or have anything trigger your your symptoms. We we don't want to flare you during exactly (laughs) trying to do some, you know, moves that are not going to agree with your pelvic floor or vagina or bladder. Right. But, um, but for sure we need to keep moving and we, and that needs to be done so that we stay healthy. And, and so, yeah, it's a fine balance. I yeah. think that's a great point. Yeah. And okay. We have three more questions. So number eight, and I actually got a few in regards to this, uh, women with endometriosis and other conditions, autoimmune conditions, um, just women who have weaker immune systems, should they be more concerned? Should they be taking extra precautions? What should they be doing differently? Or, you know, should they not, should they not be more concerned and should they just be really, you know, they're not different than anyone else. I I actually don't know if endometriosis is something that if women with endometriosis should be more worried So I think patients with endo alone are not necessarily at an increased risk. They're not considered immunocompromised, although they do likely have inflammatory states. Um, However, I would say my patients with IC are the same way. My patients with Lorzinia are the same way. So That's um, a good point, actually, because all of those conditions are closely related. They're, they're closely related. Mm-hmm. You know, there's mast cell release in all of them. There are high inflammatory states. And that's why we believe that oftentimes they occur comorbidly, co- right. in a comorbid fashion, because um, because of that. But that having been said... And comorbid also, just means multiple. Together. Yeah, so right. someone would have multiple of those conditions at once. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but... That being said, a lot of patients with endo, IC, vulvodynia, pelvic floor also have things like RA or lupus or other rheumatologic diseases that do, in fact, put you in an immunocompromised state, Um, in which case, you know, the precautions right now are the same for everybody. Like I said, right now, as we know it, while we are more concerned for the elderly and immunocompromised, this virus is affecting everybody. It's not discriminating. Um, so, so we're all at risk. 
Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so we should all be very careful with how we handle ourselves. Yeah. But at the same time, that's not to scare anybody. We should still be able to, you know, do, we should still be able to keep our routine as much as we can in a day-to-day balance at home. Mm -hmm. And and that's what I would suggest. But yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely something that we have to keep in mind. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. And number nine, can stress cause vulvar eczema? So, yeah, yes and no. So, so yes, whenever we talk about vulvar derm and any and vulvodynia and anything that that kind of changes the pH and the landscape of the vagina, stress can be. It's not a cause, but it can be a culprit. It can be a part of the situation. Um, so, so I think we see a lot of patients flaring right now, um, but is it like the sole cause of vulvar eczema? No, I mean, in, in addition, if you're washing more, then that can also dry the skin out and increase symptoms of vulvar eczema. So we just have to be, you know, cognizant of the fact that it's multifactorial, as we know. Mm-hmm. Okay. That definitely makes sense. And when I saw that question, I mean, the first thing I thought of was, you know, as you said, stress can make anything worse. Stress can bring out a lot of conditions, um, which is why it's so important to properly try and manage your stress at this time. And I think that if we're all just mindful of that right now, that's the best we can do is just try and manage it. For sure. For sure. And then last question, number 10. Are there any exercises I can do at home to maintain my pelvic floor? Um, yes, absolutely. And I think that the physical, th- a lot of physical therapists, at least I know, are doing at-home programs that are really helpful for patients. Um, you know, in general, the general gist of this is lengthening the muscles, um, not shortening them. And that's kind of where you really want to be going with this so that the muscles don't shorten and tighten and cause those trigger points, that lactic acid to cause these like areas or knots within the muscle. Mm -hmm. Um, but again, I think that every treatment program is usually individualized to patients. At least that's how we like to do it. And um, I know that there are a ton of physical therapists out there kind of sharing their wealth of knowledge um, with at-home programs for patients. And that, and I would definitely utilize them. And also, I actually just, you know, an idea just popped into my head, but I think that it could be, as, as we've been saying, um, a time to utilize and understand different and new things but maybe you know if you go to physical therapy I know when I was going to pelvic floor physical therapy I still go sometimes but usually it's just internal work but now that I'm thinking about it if you were to do a remote session maybe you could work with your physical therapist instead of obviously the internal stuff you could work more on exercises that you can do at home which perhaps you didn't spend as much time on in the past right so yeah that's that's a good point that could be a good kind of approach to take in order to just learn some new things and some stuff that you can do at home and obviously you can take that into the future when this is all over with and and still have these exercises that you've learned and that's how I look at physical therapy in general for all my patients mm-hmm. it's not something that you should be in chronically you know right right it's you might need tune-ups here and there but you want to be able to do stuff at home you want the tools to treat yourself so great point and absolutely agree cool you are the best I think that's it for today 
But thank you so much, Dr. Balani, for taking the time to do this. I really, really, really appreciate it. And I hope that this was interesting for everyone listening. And if you guys enjoyed this episode and want more like these, if you want us to do more Q&As throughout the next few weeks, if more questions come up, please let us know. You can always DM The Beehive on Instagram at the beehive or you can send us an email info at the beehive.com and dr balani where can everyone contact you you can contact me either through my website which is www.pelvicpaindoc.com through instagram at pelvicpaindoc um and i am accessible so let us know your thoughts and we are more than happy to come back on here and do this again. So just send us your questions or any feedback you have and we'll be back. Thank you again, Dr. Blani. This was great. Thanks, Hannah. Okay. Stay safe, everyone. Stay stay, safe. I was about to say stay safe, stay healthy. And the V-Hive is definitely here to keep producing content for you guys. And I just want everyone to be entertained and educated and happy and healthy that's all that matters right now and that's what I'm going to continue to do and I know it's the same with Dr. Bellani so yes talk I to you it. soon everyone bye bye this podcast is for education purposes only it does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other healthcare professional services, including the giving of medical advice. During the episodes, no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Listeners should seek the assistance of their healthcare provider for any concerns or questions they have.